Hello, and welcome to the Bethesda Podcast feed. It's here you can find all of our recorded services. And for more information, you can visit us at gobethesda.com. We hope you enjoy. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. Joshua is the high priest. We see this from Haggai 1.1. This is review and introduction. And we see that uh, Joshua is standing before the angel of the Lord. It's the idea of his priestly service. It's, uh, it's him ministering. Satan is right there to oppose him. Uh, he, he hates this whole scene, presence of God, uh, someone ministering in the house. And so he jumps right on to the accusation. He's got these filthy garments on. He is Satan, the accuser of the brethren. The Hebrew is Satan. The Satan has the definite article in front of it. He's an adversary. He's an opponent. And uh, I love what uh, Guzik says. He says the only thing worse than having Satan as an adversary is to have him as a friend, right? Uh, He said, the Lord rebuke you. I believe this is the angel of the Lord. We went into it last time. The angel of the Lord says, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. And so here's a good way to look at this. The Lord is standing, uh, you know, right there. And uh, you have the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord is exercising authority by saying, the Lord rebuke you. In other words, the Lord, and you could go back and listen to last, last week, but it's not like the Lord automatically rebukes. The Lord uses a vessel to do the rebuking, and that authority is expressed through this angel in this particular case. Now, you'll remember in the Bible where it says that we're fellow servants with angels. The angel will say, like, to Daniel or to John in the book of Revelation, hey, stand up. I'm a fellow servant. I'm a servant like you are of the Most High God. So that angel is speaking not on his behalf. uh, I'm sorry, not on his own behalf, but on behalf of the Lord. The Lord rebuke you. It's like Michael and the angel of the Lord are peers. They're peer to peer. Now, you know, uh, we're not of the angelic species, uh, but these guys are Lucifer, Satan, and the angel of the Lord. You would think he would just say, I rebuke you. You know, get out of here. But he says, the Lord rebuke you. And we talked about that. It's, it's, it's potent that, you know, Jude 1.9 tells us that the Michael the archangel did the same thing. In a, a strange little passage where they're contending for the body of Moses. But we don't have time to get into that <laughs> interesting story. And uh, so here you have... This demonstration, what I'm trying to say, is a demonstration of spiritual warfare. We go in with a covering of authority, which is the Lord rebuke you. We go in the name of Jesus, now in the New Testament. We go in the name of Jesus, and that covering of authority uh, allows us to fight from a place of victory, and less of a place where we're trying to get the victory. Because Christ is risen, Jesus has won, and we come in Jesus' name, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. 
So the Lord rebuke you. And so then he says, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. So he's reinforcing this idea that we saw in the second chapter that uh, this is where the Lord has chosen to uh, operate, what he's chosen. You know, eventually Jesus will descend from heaven and reign the whole world from Jerusalem. You talk about a special place. But remember in Zechariah 2, we saw that this idea of the holy land, holy land. All right, so here's some new stuff for us. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Are you with me? Isn't this exciting? Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Joshua the high priest had a place of high standing. He's there with the angel of the Lord. He's protected against satanic attack. Still, this place of high privilege is not based on his own goodness or merit. Joshua himself was rescued as a brand plucked from the fire. This is even more boldly stated in that Joshua stood clothed in filthy garments. So Satan has a lot to accuse Joshua of, but Joshua had an even greater advocate in the Lord. And so he's, he's a brand. A brand is, well, you know, we have Danny and Christy, of course, but <laughs> a brand is a burnt, burning, or smoldering piece of wood, Guzik says. Think of a campfire with a blackened, charred chunk of wood smoking in the ashes. It, it isn't worth much at all, and it's going to be consumed completely unless you pull it out of the fire. And that's where Joshua is. Joshua is a not worth much, and had it not been for the Lord, he'd be completely consumed. So he's a brand plucked from the fire. Spurgeon says this. So it is with the child of God. What is he at the best? Till he is taken up to heaven, he is nothing but a brand plucked out of the fire. It is his daily moan that he is a sinner. But Christ accept him as, accepts him as he is. And he shuts the devil's mouth by telling him, Thou sayest this man is burnt. Of course he is. What do I think he was but that? He is a brand plucked out of the fire. I plucked him out of it. He was burning when he was in it. He is blackened now. That he is out of it. He was what I knew he would be. He is not what I mean to make him. But he is what I knew he would be. I have chosen him as a brand plucked out of the fire. What hast thou to say to that? Do observe that this plea did not require a single word to be added to it from Joshua. In other words, Joshua didn't have to defend himself. The Lord would defend him. F.B. Meyer says this. Such is the divine economy that God makes much of brands, fragments, castaways what others regard as unworthy of their heed is dear and priceless to the great lover of souls one more quote are you can you handle that this is charles spurgeon this question as it happens to me will bear three renderings first it may be looked upon as an exclamation of wonder is not this a brand plucked out of the fire secondly as an inquiry of hope is not this a brand, this one particularly plucked out of the fire? And in the third place, it is certainly a defiance for us. Assured, 
assured of our safety to throw into the face of Satan, the accuser. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? When John Wesley was six, he was trapped in a burning house, and he was rescued when a neighbor climbed on another's shoulders and, and pulled him out of a window. And uh, a picture of that scene was drawn for Wesley, and he kept that drawing until he died. And he had Zechariah 3, 200. He was saying, I was a brand plucked out of the fire. Verses 4 through 5. Then he answered and spoke to, to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head, and they put the clothes on him, and the angel of the Lord stood by. So take away the filthy garments. So Joshua, again, he's the high priest. He stood in the presence of the Lord. Satan's accusing him. And uh, on some pretty solid grounds, Joshua was guilty of standing before the Lord in filthy garments. But the Lord addressed the problem by cleansing Joshua and taking away the filthy garments and the iniquity that they represented. Uh, one writer says that the Hebrew word translated filthy is the strongest expression in the Hebrew language for filth of the most vile and loathsome character. So you have Joshua the priest in filthy garments. So you think of the worst of the worst. I was with all these kids today. The, one of the speakers was talking, maybe McGuire, I can't remember which one. And they mentioned vomit. Yes, they did. And, uh, I mean, think of filthy garments. And he's ministering before the Lord. And the Lord's okay. Like, I knew this before I called him. And I will change his clothes. I will make an exchange. Aren't you glad you don't have to come to Jesus all fixed up? You know, it's so funny. You husbands can relate to this. You know, your wife's like, you need to put that lid down. We got to, you know, you need to, the, the, the bathroom's messy, you know. And then at the same time, their counter over here. <laughs> right? Right, Nick? All right, Steve's chickening out on this. Oh, there you go. There you go. I mean, I'm picking on the ladies. We get all, you know, we get all, what I'm saying is we get all dressed up, put our Sunday best on to go to church. You know, I told you about when we first started this church, we had our first service at River Community Church. We'd breaking out of the living room. We were breaking out of the living room. We had a real church building that we were going to rent. In the afternoon, and uh, we were so excited about it. I got so excited. I went to Target. I bought some new pants. They were shiny and swishy. I got some pointy elf shoes that were kind of hip at the time, at Aldo shoes. And I had some kind of shirt on that was nice. I was, all, I was all prim and proper. I felt like a million bucks. I told you when I walked, my, my pants swished. It was like, they, I was sparking, man, like. 
I felt so, I was so excited, and I bought a $100 Bible. I bought a $100 Bible, which was probably three times the cost of my, my whole outfit I was wearing. And, and I was so excited, and I felt so, I, I dressed up like a peacock. And a lot of times we dress up, you know, we go to church, we're wearing our Sunday best and all. Truth is, in the spirit realm, filthy, but for the blood of Jesus, amen, but for the garment of righteousness that he puts on us. It's his doing. God made him, Paul said to the church at Corinth, Corinth was full of messed up people. There was one situation that was so out of control that Paul said, that guy don't even need to come to church for a while. He needs to stay away. I mean, he, he was, it's, I don't even get into it. It was so bad, some of the things that people were doing. I mean, and they were tolerating all kind of stuff. And the gifts of the Spirit, they were flowing. But boy, it was out of control. It was like a showcase and a showing off of the gifts that I can flow in. It was just a mess. And Paul said, Paul said this to that church, that church, which was a, a wonderful, powerful church, but full of all kind of sinfulness that he had to address. And Paul gave them some hope. He said, God hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that, that you knuckleheads, that's the Greek, might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus did not commit sin. He was made to be sin on the cross for us, a substitute, a sin offering. And you do understand from the Old Testament typology that the sins of the people were transferred to the sacrifice. You had that lamb that was slain. You had that scapegoat that went into the wilderness. Jesus is typified by those. He died on the cross, but he also went into the uninhabited regions to carry away our sin. The high priest would lay his hands on that scapegoat and send him into the wilderness. The book of Leviticus talks about this. And so here you have the Jewish high priest condemning him to death, laying their hands on the scapegoat, so to speak, but they can't carry out capital punishment, so they go to the Romans and beg them, would you please sentence him to death? Pilate doesn't want to do it. He eventually does it. And so here you have the Roman authorities, the Gentiles, laying their hands on him, and the sins of the Jews and the sins of the Gentiles are, are carried by Jesus the Christ because he's a savior for Jews and Gentiles. The gospel is the power of God and salvation to the Jew first and also to the Gentiles. And so here you have him carrying all of that away. God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might become, whether we're Jew or Gentile, the righteousness of God in him. He didn't commit sin. He was made to be sin. I didn't commit righteousness. I was made to be righteousness by a divine act of God. Amen? And so here you have, of course, again, and that, that, listen, I'm hung up on that because that's, 
that's something that we need to be hung up on because what it does is it gives us it gives us confidence in our prayers. Because what we end up doing is we come to God and we pray and we and we're trying to earn our way to answered prayers. So I was I was good for three and a half hours today. So after that three and a half hours, right before I slip off the edge, I'm going to say my prayers because I know God will answer them because I was good for three and a half hours. Three hours, 31 minutes, though, I got in traffic, and that Yahoo up there, and I ain't going to tell you what I said to him, and, uh, you know, and I slipped. So I'm not going to pray now. And the truth of the matter is, you don't need to say any bad words to anybody driving. And the truth of the matter is you need to live a holy life. And the truth of the matter is you need to be discipled, and we should become more and more like Jesus and died more and more to self and surrender ourselves. But that's a, that's a, that's a daily thing, right? I, I, wish, I wish I could cast out flesh. I was talking to somebody about this at, at camp. I'm like, I wish I could, like, I'd be like, would y'all pray for me and cast out my flesh? You know, like, and the, the truth is you could, but you would die. You, can't, you have to crucify the flesh. Not, not literally, but you die to self. That self-surrender, that's a daily thing, you know. You die to self daily. You humble yourself. It's, flesh has to be disciplined. That's what disciple is, disciplined. A disciplined one. Jesus lived a disciplined life, and so did his followers. So you need to do all that. You need to do all the stuff. You need to get holier and closer to God because you can. You can get holier. You, you can't get any more righteous, but you can't get holier. Oh, I am so far off of Zachariah right now. But I promise you, this, this will help you. This will help you. It's so good to know the difference between righteousness and holiness. Righteousness is a gift from God that you didn't earn, you didn't deserve. You, you, he did all the work before you were born. Think about that. He, he didn't like say, oh, Donovan's such a great guy. I think I'll do so. Well, 2,000 years ago, you weren't around. I know God, you know, is, transcends time, but righteousness is a gift that you had nothing to do with. Holiness, however, is a covenant word. And it is born out of your relationship with God. So you're made the righteousness of God when you're, when you're justified, when you're born again. And, and I believe in a born-again experience of the water and of the Spirit. And I believe that ultimately, even this old body, it will be born again. And we'll have a body like unto His glorified body. But... It's, it's righteousness is a gift from God. If any man's in Christ, it's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. He made us to be the righteousness of God in Christ because of what Christ did on the cross. Yeah, that's a gift. But my holiness comes, that's my starting point to where now I start walking with him. And I start surrendering to him. And I start praying prayers like Jesus prayed in Gethsemane, if it were possible, 
don't let, don't make my flesh do this. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Very practical way of looking at it. I want to overeat. I want to take these drugs. I want to get drunk. I want to cuss them out. I want to leave my spouse. I want to, whatever it is that your flesh is driving you towards, you say, nevertheless, not my will. That's holiness. Not my will. My will. I'm surrendering my will to your will. I am doing what I'm doing because I'm in a relationship with you. This relationship is a covenant relationship. Therefore, being of covenant, it's holy. The holy land. It's holy because of the covenant. Moses, take off the sandals that you're wearing because the ground you're standing on is holy ground. It's just ground. No, it's holy ground. Why? Covenant business is being conducted here. It is set apart for the master's use. And so holiness is you're setting aside your will for his will. It's holiness. Does that make sense? You don't have to get right. And I know sometimes people talk about standards of righteousness, and, and, and it gets confusing. But you hear what I'm saying. Righteousness is is what God has done for you and given to you. And from that, you begin what is called sanctification. You start living that life of separate, holy living. You're, you come out from among them and be ye separate, says the Lord. Like you, you got sanctified when, you, when, when God gave you the gift of righteousness, but that sanctification is a promise, a, a, a process, a process that you, you walk through. So... Um, the Lord said, uh, I'm going to clothe them in rich robes, rich robes. Oh, uh, Jason's wearing a rich robe tonight. I see that fancy jacket he's got on, man. It's rich robe. The thought of being clothed by God in righteousness, this goes from Genesis 3, 7, Genesis 3, 21, Revelation 7, 13, and 14. I mean, this, this idea uh, he said, let him put a clean turban on his head. This was part of the priest's attire. And on the front, check this out, on the front of that priest's attire, you can look this up, Exodus 28, 36 through 38, there's a gold plate, had a phrase on it. You know what that phrase said? Holiness unto the Lord. So there you go, set apart for the master's use. You know, Revelation says that the church... We as believers have been made kings and priests. You know, in the Old Testament, the entire nation of Israel was supposed to be a nation of priests. There, there were some, all of them, not just the tribe of Levi, all the tribes were supposed to be priests unto the Lord. But they blew it at the golden calf debacle. When Moses was on the top of the mountain getting the law, they went crazy down below, built a golden calf, took off all their clothes, got drunk, went nuts. 
Moses collects Joshua at base camp one, and as they're coming down towards the camp, Joshua says, sounds like a war. There's a battle going on. And Moses is like, I don't know. The closer they get, all of a sudden, Joshua's eyes get big, and he's like, that's no war. <laughs> you know, it's, it's Mardi Gras. And, and it, it's just, and they're dancing around uh, a golden calf, the bull cults. They're dancing around an idol. These are God's people. Just brought them, he just brought them out of Egypt across the Red Sea. They're freaking out, man. They're out there dancing, going crazy. And Moses says, who's on the Lord's side? And the tribe of Levi, his brothers, he was a Levite. The tribe of Levi said, we're on the Lord's side. He said, if you're on the Lord's side, take sticks, staves, javelins, spears, knives, swords, whatever you can find, and run them through your brethren. It was harsh. And they did. They went throughout. They were killing everybody. And, and, and Moses said, stop, that's enough. Let me just put it like this. It brought the party to a screeching halt. I mean, it, it, it got serious fast. You know, <laughs> it's like the band's playing, you know, all of a sudden, you know, it stopped. If there people are freaking out, it stopped the party. They got serious quick. And because of what the Levites did, they became priests unto the Lord. They earned the right to be the priesthood. And they had temper issues. Uh, Moses was a Levite. You know, he shattered the tablets right there. You know, he saw the party going, like, smashed them. They had, temper, had some temper problems. But they earned the right to become the priests. When the whole nation was supposed to be a nation of priests. But in the New Testament, you're a holy nation, a royal priesthood. Remember Hebrews? Remember Peter talking about this? A, a holy nation, a royal priesthood called out of darkness into this marvelous light to show forth the praises of him that called you out of darkness and to, so you have this idea of the priest, Yeshua, Joshua is his name. All of this is so amazingly tied together. So Joshua is a, a type of Christ, obviously, and the body of Christ, a kingdom of priests, on that golden plate on the miter, the turban, holiness unto the Lord. Here to do, to minister to the Lord. Bring the sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of our lips, unto the Lord. Isn't that cool stuff? And then uh, verses 6 through 7. Then the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways, if you will keep my command, then you shall also judge my house, and likewise have charged my courts. I will give you places to walk among these who stand here. If you walk in my ways, I will keep. Uh, if you will keep my commands. So here you have this. Remember the other Joshua back in the book of Joshua. You know, it, be strong and courageous. 
that you may be able, you know, this book of the law won't depart from out of your mouth. You'll meditate in it day and night. That you'll see what to do and how to have good success. And uh, you'll do whatever I've commanded you. That's what he's saying here. You, you need to walk in my ways. Not your ways, but my ways. That's what holiness, that's what relationship does. Not your will, but my will. You'll also judge my house and likewise have charge, have charge of my courts. So God promised that Joshua would serve as a high priest if he would be diligent, stay obedient to God. He said, I'll give you places to walk among these who stand here. And uh, he gave him this privileged access. And, uh, you know, that applies to us. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain help, mercy in the time of need. Verses 8 through 10. Hear, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your companions who sit before you, for they are a wondrous sign. For behold, I am bringing forth my servant, the branch. For behold, the stone uh, I have laid before Joshua upon the stone are seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave its inscription, says the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, everyone will invite his neighbor under his vine and under his fig tree. So he said, I'm bringing forth my servant, the branch. I told you all this is a very difficult book. And uh, so it, we go where the text takes us. Fascinating terminology here. I am bringing forth my servant, the branch. Branch is used several times as a title for Messiah. Isaiah 4.2, Isaiah 11.1, 1, Jeremiah 23.5, Jeremiah 33.15. The branch is associated, Guzik says, with fruitfulness and life. Jesus used the same image. He said that he was the vine, we are the branches. And then the stone I have laid before Joshua. So if a branch seems to be weak, you have another picture here. So the branch is bringing life and fruit, but the stone is this, this stone that's strong, unmovable. However, this one's weird. It has seven eyes. Uh, eyes represented knowledge in the ancient world. And uh, seven eyes speaks of the perfection, the fullness of the knowledge and wisdom of Messiah. He said, I'll engrave its inscription. Early Christians saw this stone as a picture of Jesus' wounds. Marks of identification. Remember when he appeared and he said, Thomas is like, is it really you? And he's like, look at my hands. Put your hand on my side. So early Christians saw that as the wounds. Everyone will invite his neighbor under his vine and under his tree, his fig tree. It's proverbial. It, it's idiomatic. It speaks of prosperity and peace. 1 Kings 4.22. Uh, verse 25. I'm going to read the whole thing, but I'm not now. Verse 25 says, uh, Judah, Israel, dwelt safely, each man under his vine and his fig tree. So it's a place of prosperity and peace. 2 Kings 18 uh, it's like every one of you eat from his own vine, everyone from his own fig tree, place of prosperity and peace. And uh, ultimately, we're going to see this in the millennial reign of Christ. Chapter 4. Let me introduce this. This is some of my favorite stuff in the whole, whole Bible right here. This is amazing stuff. Changed my life quite a few years ago, some of these passages here. Verses 1 through 3. Now the angel who talked with me came back and wakened me as a man who was wakened out of his sleep and said to me, what do you see? So I said, I am looking 
and there is a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it. It just sounds so literal, doesn't it? You know, like he's like, he wakens him out of sleep. Ah, yeah. What? What do you see? I'm looking. Um, there's a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it. And on the stand, seven lamps. You know, he's counting one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. With seven pipes to the seven lamps. Uh, let me see here. Two olive trees are by it. One on the right of the bowl and the other at its left. So he's he's wakened up. He's lightheaded. You know, he's just, you know, it's tough. A lampstand of solid gold. God gave Zechariah this vision of this golden lampstand that was meant to stand in the temple. When we were in Jerusalem, we visited the Temple Institute, and there we were going to the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall, and uh, they had this, in the old city, they had this menorah, this giant gold menorah that was ready for a third temple. And it was on display. It was ready to go. That's what I think of when I, I read this. You got this lampstand ready to go in a temple that's yet to be built. And so God's showing him these pieces that will go in this temple that is is going to be built. Seven pipes to the seven lamps, two olive trees. So you have this lampstand. You have these lamps. You have these olive trees, seven pipes. So in the tabernacle and in Solomon's temple, you had the tedious work. Why don't you stand with me? It's 8.06. You had the tedious work of keeping the, the lamp lit. But to keep the lamp lit, you had to keep the oil flowing. And you had to trim the wicks. And you had to replace the wicks as, you know, they burned up. And you, so it was this very... It was this tedious process. But in this vision, you have these uh, modern technological advancements, self-filling lamps. Basically, you got olive oil coming off the trees, coming in through the pipes, coming into the lamp. So it's, it's always, it's automatic. It's, it's, you know, fed straight. It's fuel injected, you know. <laughs> and then verses 4 and 5. So I answered and spoke to the angel who talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. <laughs> Zechariah saw this vision, didn't understand what it meant. It was, it was a simple contraption, but it was unusual. Lampstand, lamps, oil fed directly, coming from these olive trees. The angel said, do you know what these are? This is some cool info right here. Angels are not omniscient. The angel did not know that if Joshua knew what he was looking at or not. Do you know what you're looking at? He's not, an angel is not omniscient like God. Angels know what they know on a need-to-know basis. 
Either God reveals it to them or they observe, they see. For instance, the angel of the Lord, when Isaac was offered up by Abraham at the Akita, the Jews call it, the binding of Isaac, when, when Abraham was coming down, the angel of the Lord says, Stop! Now I know. I saw what you did with the hard word that God gave you. God tested Abraham's saying. He gave him a word. Take your son, your only son, to a mountain. I'm going to show you. Goes out three days. Goes to, goes to ram the knife through him. And when he did, the angels, nope. Now I know. God already knew. The angel of the Lord did not know. Then the angel of the Lord begins to prophesy on his behalf. But the idea is angels are not omniscient. The angel wanted to make sure that Zechariah got the meaning of this vision. So I'm going to tee it up for next time. Verses 6 and 7. So he answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? You shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Here's the idea. I'm wrapping up. Zerubbabel has this impossible task of building this temple out of scraps. He's, he's looking at it. How am I going to do this? This is an insurmountable obstacle. It's a mountain, possibly a mountain of rubble that's on the foundation. It's been sitting there for 20 years. So how in the world? How? And the Lord goes through this elaborate vision to show him, hey, buddy, you know those garments on Joshua the priest? Like, the Lord changed them. The Lord said, I'll put garments on you. I'm fine with this. This is not stressing me out. I'm going to take care of Joshua. And I'm going to take care of you, Zerubbabel. This mountain in your way, it's nothing. You just need to understand it's not by might, it's nor by power. It's by my spirit, says the Lord. I'll make it happen. I'll give you favor. I'll open the windows of heaven. I'm going to do whatever i got to do to help you get what I've called you to do done. And that's what ministers to me and to you tonight. Because whatever God's called you to do, you can't do it. If you can do it, it's not God calling you to do it. If it's beyond you, that sounds like my God. And God wants you to know, you can't do it on your own. But with me, you can do all things. I'll empower you. I'll make a way where there seems to be no way. I'll help you. And I believe it gets so practical and down to earth. Like, I'll help you in your business. I'll help you in your marriage. I'll help you with your children. I'm going to help you with promotions. I'm going to help you because I'm going to make a way to get my will done in your life. You walk with me, you live a separated life, you become more and more like me, you humble yourself, you die to self and live for me, and you watch what I'll do. I'll make it an everlasting, unending power, an anointing that flows on you and through you, and I'll advance you and lift you up. 
in Jesus' name. Amen? Would you lift your hands to the Lord right now? I love you, Jesus. I thank you so much, God. <laughs> it's not by mind, it's not by power, but it's by your Spirit. God, those obstacles that we're facing, those mountains that some in this room are even facing tonight, wondering how in the world am I going to overcome that? How am I going to pay that bill? How am I going to deal with that situation? Why don't you just surrender it all to the Lord right now? I just put it over on you, God. I got a filthy garment on. I need you to change it. God, I've got a mountain in front of me. I need you to anoint me to do what needs to be done. God, I can't make it happen. I can't force it to happen. But God, my trust is in you. Once again, my trust is in you. I mean, we have a tendency to say, is it come to that again? I'm having to trust in you. Yes, and thank God for it. We walk by faith and not by sight. Hallelujah. Come on, give God some praise right now. Thank you for joining us. And for more information, you can visit us at gobethesda.com. You can also visit us in person at 15050 Daigle Road, Prairieville, Louisiana. Services are at 10 a.m. Sunday and 7 p.m. on Wednesday.